Welcome to River's Edge Sermon of the Week. Thanks for joining us today. We're really believing that you'll benefit from the message that you're about to hear. A big thank you to those of you who share our podcast on social media. And thanks for rating and reviewing us on iTunes. For more information about us, please visit riversedgechurch.com.au. So I would love to teach this morning um, for those of you... um, who don't know me that well, I used to be a teacher in my previous life. I really want to get into some teaching side of what we need. Thank you so much. They're nice and light for you. So, um, thank you. I want, to, I want to look, if we can, for the next really two weeks, two or so weeks. Obviously, I won't be preaching next week. We've got the Gerberts coming and hearing what, how they've done planting a church in Japan, which we help support financially. But I want to... Do a bit of teaching. So if we've got my first slide, and um, it's the end of the world as we know it. And I want to do some teaching about heaven and hell, afterlife, all that. I want to go there today. Are you, are you willing to do this journey with me? And I really want to encourage you to take some notes as well, because I'm not sitting in one text. I'm actually trying to do biblical theology, sort of like here, there, everywhere. Um, obviously, they'll be on the screen. Um, but imagine a, 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 maybe someone that had lots of money, someone that you love very much, someone that knows a lot about you said, hey, I want you to come on holidays with me. We're going on a trip. I'll, I'll tell you more later. I've got to go but I'll pick you up soon. What, what do you do? Like, you get a bag, obviously. I've got two bags because, you, like, how much do you take? Where are we going? For how long? Who's going to look after the stuff while I'm away? All of the different things that you will go through your mind about, actually, so what, what about who's going to look after my dog, my cat, my goldfish? My children. What about my job? What should I actually wear? All of these questions that you have. If, if you were to do that, you would make sure that you answer all of those things. And yet I want to talk about the whole idea of getting ready for eternity. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says that God has set eternity in the human heart. That we are born and yet we live forever where we live and what type of what that actually looks like is really important and how we make decisions and what we do now in this life really matters so getting ready for your eternal destination requires thought and preparation now really what i want to do over this really short series is help you live with eternity in your heart and in your mind and, I, and I, I understand some of these that I'm going to talk about is challenging, is difficult. Um, and so I'm going to pray. And uh, so, Father, I just thank you that you speak and your word is incredible. It is timeless, it is wonderful, and it speaks to our hearts. So I pray that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us. Uh, I pray you lead me and guide me to emphasize what you want to say. But Lord, we're just looking to you and pray that, Lord, as a result of this, we would live with eternity in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name. All right. So, what you need to understand is the reality of heaven. So, if we go, 
It starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 15, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. God so loved the world. That's the, the next phrase. Um, whoever believes in the Son will has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. The whole idea of heaven, which we'll talk about where that is, what does that look like, starts with Jesus. The only way, he is the door, he is the gate, he is the entrance into the eternal life that we're talking about. What is eternal life? Someone asked Jesus, and it's the, it is eternal life, he says, is knowing God it's, and of being with him in heaven. But Jesus said on the cross to one of the um, guys that was being crucified with him, says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus is the start of... And what you need to understand, you, you could have all the money in the world. You could, have, you could own everything. You could be the nicest person, and yet your good works, your wealth, what you know, who you know, won't get you into heaven. The only way that humanity can come into the kingdom of God is through Jesus. Because of his life, his death and his resurrection and all that that means. It's only through Jesus that we can have eternal life. So what we need to, I need to start there. And if you believe in Jesus, we will have eternal life. So what do you do in heaven? What do you do in heaven? I've always, I'm fascinated by this whole idea. What do I do in heaven? Is it, are they going to sing the songs? Are they going to go as long? Are they going to repeat the choruses as many times as they do here? Are they going to go to the bridge section? I'm I'm fascinated by the whole idea of what actually happens in heaven. I remember talking to my dad. So he became a Christian um, later in his life. And he, he was like, oh, I can just imagine what heaven's going to be looked like. There's, going to, there's this massive arena. He, in his, this is his version of what it looked like. The biggest arena he could think. And, and he said, I reckon everyone's going to be worshipping. They're lifting their hands. And he goes, oh, and I'm there, right up the back, like in the nosebleed section, right up the back. I'm, as my arrogant 16-year-old, I'm like at the front. In my head, I'm at the front. I'm like, I get to be with Jesus. And then my dad's like, oh, no, I'm just so grateful I'm there. I'm just so grateful that I actually get to be a part of the whole massive thing. But what happens when you start to read the Bible and it describes what heaven looks like? These themes of party, a wedding feast, banquet and worship come through. Let me read to you just a couple of scriptures. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south, and they will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus is talking about a parable, but this whole idea that what would heaven look like if you follow Jesus, if you trust in him, heaven has this idea that there's going to be a feast, some sort of massive banquet. Sir, they said, you have ordered what has been done. This is from another um, parable, Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. 
The master told his servant, go out on the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. I don't have time to unpack the whole parable of what that actually means. But the whole idea of banquet, yeah, that's what Jesus is trying to teach us, that this afterlife, this heaven experience has this sort of luxurious banquet, feasting, party sort of environment. And so what you need to understand is this, it's incredible what God has this, he prepares a table before me, even now, and this is why heaven on earth, and we'll get into that in a moment. And, but where is heaven? We go to the next. Oh, sorry, we'll go here, yes, thank you. Sorry, go to the next one. No, go back. That's it. What do you do in heaven? I missed that scripture here. No, that's, that's actually a different... Uh, the, the actual topic is, where is heaven? Sorry, that's, that's my mistake there. We have this idea that heaven is up. Because when you read um, Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the word is plural, so there's different sort of... I think layers or levels of heaven and all and with the angelic beings and all that type of stuff. But so we have this concept that heaven is up and I'm going to talk about hell later and that's down because we as human beings need to understand stuff in ways that are linear, functional, like we are here, we can't be everywhere and so we need time and space and place to help us understand. And Paul talks about the whole idea of being absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we will all be resurrected when Jesus returns, whether you follow Jesus or not. We will all be resurrected from the dead to face judgment. But this is what, um, in Revelation, they explain um, what it looks like here and again, what you need to understand, this is somebody trying to explain an incredible experience with very limited language. I'll give you a really normal example. You go on something that you don't do every day. Say you go on a roller coaster, you go on a ride or do something. Now tell me your experience. You would struggle to articulate the emotions, everything. It was fast. We went up. We went down, I screamed, all the, but it wouldn't literally be able to capture the essence of what that. So John does the same thing. When he's, um, when he's in jail, he is, um, has this vision of what happens. And so he writes about this in um, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So what happens is, if you read Romans 8, it talks about this groaning, that because of sin, the world is slave to sin, not just humanity, but the world. So there's earthquakes and all this sort of stuff that's happening in that space. And so there's groaning. And so God recreates. There's a, it's same with humanity. If you trust in Jesus, you are a new creation. There's a resurrection body. 
So it happens with the world is the heaven and the earth is recreated. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. There's this whole idea of a wedding, that the church is the bride of Christ and this is massive wedding, but all the joy that goes along with that. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who sit on the throne said, I am making everything new. That is the hope, if you trust in Jesus, of what eternal life looks like. There'll be no more crying, no more death, no more suffering, none of the things that affect everybody throughout this world. And God is there, present enough to wipe away the tears and the suffering from your, from your eyes. He's there, he's comforting. And, and what John tries to say is that heaven is just not some mystical place away But heaven comes to earth. God dwells on earth. And so he he dwells, he comes among us like Jesus did, but then he returns and he actually dwells among us. So heaven is not just up there, but heaven will come and collide in earth. The new Jerusalem will come down and we will be with God. And you can read the rest of the book, talks about some sort of stuff. And I'm not sure you can take it all literally because I don't think that's the way the book's written. But I think the whole idea is that it, it's, he's trying to explain God is doing something incredible when he comes down, and as a result of that, there's no light, there's no sea. I mean, I love the ocean, so I'm like, what's going on with that? But, but I'm t- sure there's something, there's a river that flows through. There's all of these pictures of what actually could look like, but the whole idea is that it is a glorious, wonderful place that we can all enjoy the presence of God. And he is making everything new which begs the question then does everyone go to heaven and we would all want to believe that's true and the challenge of that is that we 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 can fall into uh, a way of thinking uh, a doctrine called universalism which has impacted the church in the very early days and it impacts it now, and it's impacted over time. What, what that means is that everybody will be in heaven. Maybe not straight away, but eventually. And this is where we have this whole idea of purgatory, that you'll be purged from your sins, and eventually God will get to heaven. Um, and all of that, that, that whole idea. And the, the reason that people say that is that they look at scriptures like this. God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And we believe that. That's the Bible. We go, yes, that's, that's exactly true. So therefore, everyone should go to heaven. Is that right? The difference is um, the word that is used there. God wants. That word that's used there is a, a, a word, a Greek word, fellow, which means wish, desire, intention. That's what God wants to do. Same word is used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 5. It is God's will that you be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body. 
let's be honest, that doesn't really happen all the time. Does that mean that God's will is not happening all the time? No. What we need to understand is there's two Greek words for God's will. The first one is fellow, which means intention, desire. God desires that everyone should be saved. That's a better way to put it. God desires that all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. But there's another Greek word, which is philema, which is the permitted, allowed, decreed, what people call the sovereign will of God. This is why Jesus says, let your kingdom come, let your philema, let your sovereign decreed will of God have it on earth like it is in heaven. Jesus said, not my wish, but your decreed intention will be done in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, there's a distinction between what God wants and God allows and decrees and so on. So this is where, if you understand this, and I know that might be like, who cares? But some people think, well, this means that everybody will go to heaven. It doesn't. Because that scripture says, it's God's intention and desire that everyone should be saved. But the reality is, they aren't. So if we go to the next slide. We have to talk about the other side of this argument. And I want to do this as best as I can. The only way for me to describe this, um, and I'm, I'm going to be funny if I can just for a moment. I know this is not a funny topic. But whenever you go to your family barbecue, extended massive family picnic barbecue everywhere, there's that weird family member that if you're wanting to introduce your new um, person to, you want them to be a part, there's that weird uncle or weird aunt or the grandmother or something else that you think, oh, just don't embarrass us. Let's be honest, this is really what it's like in Christianity. This is what hell's like. We can talk about Jesus and everything, and, and, and that was a brilliant communion message this morning, just full of scripture and the promises of God and what he's done for us. And we love all of that. It's amazing. Yet when we want to talk about the reality of, of what Jesus has done, we sort of go, oh, I don't want to really talk about hell. I don't want to talk about it. It's that weird uncle or aunt that just, can we just ignore that they exist? And we talk about everything else, lead the rest of the family. It's amazing. It's great. But you have to understand hell. And I think that we need to be able to talk about it in a way that makes sense to ourselves and makes sense to the world. Um, I, I think it's important. But the reality is that we, if you're honest, you do have a bias when you come to this. You have a way of thinking. There are some people here today that you think, there is no way that a loving God can send people to hell. You have to wrestle with that. Or eventually God will change his mind and allow people out of hell. Or what's happening that you can see is that actually when it's actually just a garbage heap. That's what Jesus is talking about. And that's not true because Jesus, I want to go through if I can and help us unpack this thing. So let's look at what hell's original purpose was. And Jesus says in Matthew 25 verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil 
and his angels. So hell was originally designed for the angels who saw God face to face. You can read um, Ezekiel talks about the high idea, talks about the fall of Satan, how he saw God and worshipped God and was there and yet turned and went his own way. And so God, for them, creates this place called hell. So let's read then John 3.16, which everybody knows. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that... Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Well, shall not, let me rephrase that. Whoever believes in him shall not go to hell, but shall go to heaven. Just for the sake of today's message. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world or to send people to hell, but to save the world through him, but to let people into heaven. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, does not go to hell. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. So if you don't believe in Jesus, your destination is condemnation, is hell, is not heaven. Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. God gives humanity free choice. You read this in Genesis, where he says you can eat from anything except for this tree. And so if you know the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent, God does not intervene. God is there and he's watching the whole time. And he doesn't, just when they're about to eat it, when Eve gives the, 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 the fruit, um, I'm sure it was a banana. He gives that to Adam and says, there you go. God doesn't like, stop, what are you doing? He stands there and he lets them choose their destination. God does not intervene because he's not after robots We are made in the image of God, which we have freedom, we can have thought, we have choices. So God allows humanity to do that. And if he intervened, he would change who we are. We would then have, we would not have freedom. We would then, to to use the analogy to the furthest extent, we would be robots, subject to what God just wants us to do. But rather, God allows us to do that. And we chose sin, selfishness, our own agenda, our own lordship. And God risks his creation to make that free choice. Therefore, he honors the consequences of that free choice. So when you read John 3.16, it's not like God's like, oh my goodness, you've chosen this. You are on that way. And the whole idea of Jesus is to rescue humanity who is on a path to destruction to hell. And Jesus is there to say, I am the light of the world. This, you need to stop and come. God is trying to show you a different way for you to think and to, and to live differently. So we go to the next slide. What did Jesus say about hell? 
Because I think this is the challenge sometimes. Oh, but you, what did Jesus say? Because Jesus, who Hebrews 1 says, shows us who the Father is, what God is like. What does he say? And there have been different challenges over the time to try to change this, to water this down, to make it different. So let's just look at some of this stuff. And then uh, he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him, explained us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. The enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. And the son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. What you see over and over again when Jesus talks about hell. And he, what, I need to, what you need to understand, when Jesus comes, he, doesn't, he comes into a world just like a, he's, a, he's a man, 100% God and 100% man. And he shows humanity what God is like. And what he does, he, he's born in a first century Jewish world, which has a Roman overlord, but into the Jewish culture. And if there was stuff that was wrong, he corrects it. So they had this thing about divorce, that you could just divorce anyone and anything because they cooked your eggs wrong. And so he then goes back to first principles, and uh, when it comes to the religious uh, hypocrisy, he confronts that. But when it comes to hell, he doesn't go, you've got this wrong. Actually, it's not a place of punishment. Actually, there's, there's no fire. Actually, it's not darkness. No, it's actually, it's just lollipops and rainbows. He, he doesn't change it. He uses the phrases and, the, and what is said at the time and just reinforces it. So I think that's important for us to understand. So he draws, for those taking notes, from um, Daniel chapter 12, Ezekiel 32. You can read where some of what Jesus comes from. But let's go to the next slide. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. They sat down, collected the good fish in the baskets. They threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's awful. It's awful. And Jesus just says this, what it, this is what it's like. He teaches this over and over and over again. If you want to um, take notes, Matthew 5, verse 22, Matthew 22, uh, Matthew 13, Matthew 18, Matthew 8, Matthew 22, Matthew 25, over and over again, Jesus pretty much says it's a place of punishment, it's a place of fire, it's a place of darkness. So, if we go to the next slide, what about annihilation? What about never-ending punishment? And what about those that have never heard the gospel? When you start to read um, this, um, people get to this point of actually, maybe there is, um, because there's one text, Matthew 10 verse 28, um, 
Fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body. So this is where this whole idea of the doctrine of annihilation, which means utter destruction. At the end of the day, there's nothing left. So if you go to hell, you would eventually, you would be just annihilated. There's nothing left. Which, I'm not sure that what that text, I'm not sure that that text means that. I think what Jesus is saying is that he can, God could do that. But there are, if you read this, you'll see some people say this is what's actually happening. Or, uh, and this is less sure, the whole idea of whether the punishment is forever. Um, so if you read Matthew 25 and verse 46, um, it talks about everlasting punishment. Everlasting fire and everlasting punishment. Um, will it last forever the punishment and correction and will it be enduring or will it be everlasting there is there is some really good debate around that either way whether eventually god changes his mind the punishment is is, there's there's not massive consensus around that whether it will actually be um but what they do say is that there are different degrees of punishment that seems to be that jesus talks about in hell so it's not just, okay, this was a very evil person and this person didn't trust in Jesus and did incredible good things. There seems to be a degree of punishment that is given out in hell. What about those that have never heard the gospel? Oh, I think this is hard, isn't it? I, I, I would read one Romans chapter 1, verse 20, um, which says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Um, and it goes on in, in Romans chapter 2, talks about you're a human being and God is the judge of all the world and he is righteous, he is, he is God. And what he can say, what he does, is right and true forever. So how can you sort of say, no, that's not fair when you are just a mere human being? Again, we don't like that. Um, we don't like that argument because... And, and really, I would just... I, I don't know how to answer that well other than the Scriptures say that God has revealed himself. And, and thankfully, um, God does reveal himself. You know, people have dreams people have encounters of jesus of, of god without the church being active which is but that's our role we are meant to go into the world and to share the gospel and to proclaim him and and do this but so why so what about people who have never heard the gospel that's so hard isn't it you gotta sit there and think well hopefully god's big enough to somehow communicate with them but the emphasis really is on us as a church, globally, to, to share the good news of Jesus. But I do have to come back to the fact that God is God and we are not. And I think in our world today, we struggle with the whole idea that God is God, that he is supreme, that he created the world and he can do what he wants to do. But here's the good thing about this is that God doesn't change who he is. This is, the, this is the challenging part of this. He remains true to who he is. He never changes his mind. 
that if you trust in Jesus, you will have eternal life forever. There's no like, actually, I'm, that was, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore compared to other gods. He is, there's no shadow of turning, is what, what the Bible says. So he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so part of that is we, we love that. But the other flip side, coming back to what I was talking about earlier, if you choose not to follow him, he doesn't then go, oh, I'm going to change my mind. He is supreme and, and acts that way. So, I thank God. I mean, at the end of the day, Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled against God and chose their own way. God could have just said, okay, well, that's it. That's it. That's it. It's game over. We're going to end this thing now. I'm going to start something new. But God who knows everything, and Jesus is called the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. So before you and I were born, God said, I'm going to create this masterful piece of amazing stuff out of the clay. I'm going to call it a man and a woman, and I'm going to make them in my image. And I want them to choose me. But for that to happen, I'm going to let them choose that way. And they're going to choose their own way. They're going to go their own way. They're going to turn against me. And so um, Jesus says, you know what? I will come as one of them. I will be fully human. I will take their place. I will show them what God looks like. But I will surrender. I will go through all of this agony. I will be their substitute so that there can be atonement, so the justice of God can be met. And that's, what Je- that's why we remember him. That's why we need to be compelled that, oh my goodness, what Jesus has done for us is incredible. This is no more than just a church service. This is a way of life. That's why when Jesus comes, he- he's trying to teach them Seek first the kingdom of God when ultimately one day the kingdom, will, the kingdom of God is within us now. But one day God will come down and rule and reign on this earth like heaven on earth. And that is the peace. That's the hope that we have now. But I just want to give an invitation. Now I'm in the band who come. Actually, I've got heaps more to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go in the next couple of weeks over this, but I, I just want to give an opportunity today. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've never said I want to follow Him, we read earlier in John chapter three that God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that you could have freedom, that you could get out of here and have hope. Have life. See, this is just, these are the eternal destinations. The beauty of all this stuff on the way. Thank you, Lauren. You did that so well. I didn't need to explain all of that, that what God's done now for us. But that is what it is. And really, all it is is saying, Yes, Lord, I want to follow you. And so I just want to, if we could just bow our heads and close our eyes, I just want to give you a moment. If you want to say yes to Jesus, if you want to follow him, if you may be woken up to the whole idea of where it is, goodness me.
it's it's incredibly powerful and amazing and, and so sobering. If you just want to slip your hand up and say, Luke, would you pray for me? I want to follow Jesus. I would love to help you on that journey. If you're watching online, why don't you just put it in the chat? One of us will be in contact with you. Nothing matters more than Jesus. Jesus was the Lamb of God who was slain for you and for I. I want us to stand and, and to worship Him today. Uh, when, when, I'm, when I'm on the end of fortnight's time, I want to talk about responsibility. I want to talk about the reality of reward. What does that mean for us? How do we live today? But what we need to appreciate is what Jesus has done for us. So I'm going to allow the team to just lead us in worship. But let that sobering message rest in our hearts and be grateful for what Jesus has done for us. Thank you for listening to River's Edge Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, please visit riversedgechurch.com.au.